Okay, so here we are. This is the, how many uh, bunker sessions have we done since the COVID? Five or six, like maybe. six, maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, this is uh, one on our favorite music docs. And I wrote this little thing. It sounds silly now, but it does seriously all begin with a song. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about this, that our whole lives are interwoven with songs. We have every good and bad event and fun and awful time. We all have these little soundtracks. And every time you hear a certain song, you think about those times. And also, 99% of our friends are are music-related. Yeah. And so music documentaries are a huge part of of that because they get us inside the... uh, the artists and the songs and the bands or whatever you want to call them, which is some of our favorite stuff, just mm-hmm. getting to know whoever, Charlie Daniels or whoever. So we decided, you decided actually. Yes. I let, thought it would be fun to put together a list of our favorite music documentaries yeah. that we've at least seen. I know there's a ton out there. These right. are ones we've seen and we, we've we seen them in the past and we've reviewed them again recently. Not all of them, but some of them that And we've rewatched out. some of them. Yeah. But one of the reasons um, that I want to do it now is because Amazon Prime had a new documentary um, called It All Begins With a Song, Going Back to You, which is the um, slogan for NSAI, Nashville Songwriters Association Association International. International. They're great at helping brand new songwriters get to town and figure out how to... Maneuver the business. But. Yeah, and if you're a new, if you are a new songwriter coming to town, call them. Yes, 100. percent That's our number one piece of it, yeah. piece of advice <laughs> after you're in town. Um, should we just start with talking about that that documentary? Yeah, if you want to, yeah, that'd be great. Did you Did you introduce me, by the way? Oh, this is my super hot <laughs> trophy wife, Amy. You don't have to say again. that. You just say Amy's here today, but whatevs. <laughs> Um, That's Amy over there on the couch. Yeah, I'm the other voice today. Um, so the the documentary just starts off with all these songwriters, I guess, talking about Nashville. And I would say 90% of the people on that documentary we know personally. And 87% of them are friends. Yes. <laughs> Stop it. Um, and... First of all, about that documentary, let me just say, I was kind of surprised. I think they did a great job, but yeah, they seem to have too. focused on a lot of, um, a couple of artists or songwriters that you and I have know nothing about, which, I mean, that's fine because we're, we've been out of the business for a while. Yeah. But then you have people like, again, and I'm, I know I'm playing for the home team here, but my old boss, Craig Wiseman, who's like, Literally one of the biggest songwriters in yeah, town. Like 29 number one yeah. or something crazy. And, and Jeffrey, even. Jeffrey too. I mean, yeah. like, I think Jeffrey had maybe two lines more than Craig, and Craig yeah. had very few lines. Like, Bob why? Bob yeah. mentioned, I think he's got 20, 24, 25 number ones. Well, they did do a little part with him and yeah, Caitlin that's, yeah, that's true. Smith. That's true. Um, kind of showing them in the process of writing, writing song, which at least yeah. they, they had that a little cool. more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Feature, but they, they did gloss over Craig, which is and Jeff. Like those are yeah. two of the biggest guys in town. Period. Yeah, it's pretty. He literally just had this week like his seventh number one in a row, um, making him like on the Music Row songwriter chart, which is new since I've left the business. Like yeah. he's been on that at number one for seven weeks in a row, yeah. which means he's had a number one 
on the country music charts with two artists, Kenny Chesney and... I don't remember who the other one was. You told me. Shoot, I can't... Maybe Morgan Wallen? But either way, I mean, like, that's amazing. Yeah. And this guy has been having hits since the 90s. Anyway, I digress. You took a lot of notes during that. I didn't. Yeah. Well, this is kind of when we were starting to talk about doing all this. Yeah. So one of the things that... um, One of the few stories that Jeffrey did talk about... Sorry. My voice is doing something weird because I just ate a lot of cheese. (laughs) I love cheese. Anyway. She does. um, But cheese don't love her. I'm kidding. I'm going to try to say this without crying, and I don't know why I need to start off with this, but... Jeffrey was talking about writing what hurts the most, and he wrote it about his dad. And um, he then, in the documentary, said after he lost his son, which was in 2007, Alex, um, it kind of took on a new meaning. And I remember, because I was a big part of um, the Hitman show. um, Which was Craig and Jeff and Bob and Tony. Yes, it was on GAC. It was one season. It was... A lot of fun. It could have been something even better. Um, it was fun, though. But anyway, uh, I remember that year during Tin Pan South, was, which I think it's typically in March every year. It's this week-long festival of songwriters in Nashville. People will come in just for this. It's hard to get tickets because there's like sh- multiple shows going on every single night of the week with like the biggest songwriters of town. I mean, people come in from L.A., that are songwriters and play and stuff like that. So anyway. And they, not big songwriters. And not big songwriters. Um, all songwriters. It's okay. It's a great festival. Um, yeah, it is. and it, and it goes back to NSAI because they put it on. Um, but we were at third and Lindsley and it was a hitman. They were recording that 10 pan show. And, um, I remember sitting at a table. I think I was with Craig's wife, KK and Kimberly from big loud and maybe Leslie, who's Bob's wife. Um, Thomasina. yeah. And, um, they were talking, or Jeffrey started playing What Hurts the Most. And this is like two and a half months after he lost Alex. And I think it hit him while he was singing <laughs> that song. And I just remember it was like, come on, Jeff. I mean, I didn't say that, but I can't remember who said it at the table. Like, kind of, like, pull it together. You got to get through this, you know. And anyway, that that's just kind of interesting how they talk about how songs can take on different meanings. Um, and then another quote that um, is a lot more... Um, light that Jeffrey made during that um, documentary is called, well, they were talking about uh, loops, all the loops, and how loops are now a big thing in country music and a lot of music, but kind of have made their way into country music and are a standard now. And um, the big phrase forever was two chords in the truth. That's a song, that's a phrase that Harlan Howard sang, three chords in the truth. Yep. Jeffrey said, now it's two chords in a loop instead of three chords in the truth. So I thought that was pretty I don't even remember that. That's good. Um, So do you have anything to add? Because I could keep going. Well, go. No, keep going. Okay. um, I'm looking at your notes here. One other story that I thought was kind of funny was when... um, Oh, crap. I am blanking on the writer's name. Too much cheese? No, yeah, too much cheese. <laughs> What's it's on? the one about dude looks like a lady? Steven Tyler? No, not Steven Tyler, the the writer that hit- Oh. He's here in town. Yes. Oh shoot, I can see his face. Oh my god, I have to look it up. I'm gonna look it up while we're talking, but um because this is But what about it? Well he was just talking about he was writing with Steven Tyler. He's a big pop writer. 
And I mean, he wrote Dude Looks Like a Lady. Um, yeah. Uh, and anyway, he was with Steven Tyler somewhere and they were at a bar and there was like this hot chick they thought down at the end of the bar. And it, the hot chick turned around, had all this, she had all this big hair or whatever. It turns out it was Vince Neil. <laughs> and that's where they came up with Dude Looks Like a Lady, which I thought um, was very funny. I had not heard that story before. There's so many, there's so many great stories, you know, like uh, that uh, I Drive Your Truck. Desmond Child, sorry. Desmond, yeah. Desmond wrote that with yeah. uh, Stephen Tyler. Okay, yeah, go back to I, I Drive Your Truck. Oh, I, I can't talk about it. I'll start crying. But that, oh, There's man. just so many great stories. That was definitely one of the biggest, um, I felt like, like, big story in the whole documentary. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. um, our sweet friends, Jesse Alexander, who's been on the podcast. Mm-hmm. and um, Connie. Connie um, Harrington. Harrington. I wanted to say Bradley. Different Connie. Um <laughs> Who's like the sweetest? Who's not our sweet friend? Yes. Who, well, we love Connie Bradley, but we just aren't friends with her. Um, anyway, she, uh, the two of them wrote it, but Connie talks about how she kind of came up with the inspiration, or because um, a lot of times, and you do this a lot, um, kind of talking about what Connie was doing when she came up with the idea for the song is you'll be driving around, you'll listen to something on the radio or in a TV show or a movie and you hear something and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to write that down. There's something there that I could make out of that. I remember watching, Yeah, I think we were watching, um, you and I were watching a Triple D Guy Fieri show. Mm-hmm. This is back when it wasn't embarrassing to watch <laughs> Guy Fieri. Um, I mean, like early days. And he had this line about beer boats and babes. I remember you writing it down. I was like, you got to write that with Craig. And y'all wrote that. And yep. it was so fun and should be recorded, but I digress. <laughs> but that's how a lot of other songwriters come up with ideas. I mean, you just yeah. hear something in the on the radio, somebody says, and you're just like, I got to write this down. You may have to pull over and record it in memos or write it in your notes or whatever. Hum a melody into your phone. Right. But that's what, to me, that I've, again, I don't want to sound old curmudgeon, but the older I get, you know, we always talk about as writers and publishers and whatever, we always talk about songs being conversational. And Mm -hmm. that's, to me, a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah. Of just, it is conversational because it's like, well, would somebody say that? Right. Or, you know, is that some Shakespearean goofism that no one would ever say? Right. Well, then let's, like, like, let's not even chase it. Right. Um, what's this Tom Schuyler quote? This is a songwriting town, period. Everything else in the What? Everything else comes in the next paragraph. <laughs> so, like, you know, Nashville, everybody wants to say it's country music, it's hockey town, it's this or that. Yeah. and. At the end of the day, when you boil it down, I mean, as much as the music business is like huge and artists are huge and touring is huge, at the end of the day, none of it would exist without songwriters, yeah, period. I think that's exactly what he meant. And Tom is a good personal friend and former yeah. boss. Um, yeah. And we're hoping to ha- you get him on the show here soon. But, um, Love him. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it's a really good documentary. Um yeah, it's really good. I would I would definitely recommend watching it. It is on Amazon Prime. I do believe you have to rent it. It is not free. Um, and we're going to try to put where all you can find these documentaries, yeah. too, in our show notes. Amy's made some great, great notes, so thank you for that. So should we go on to – do you want to talk about Sound City a little bit? Sure. So Sound City came out, what, how many years ago? I don't yeah, even three, know. Three, four, five. 
Oh, it's been longer than that. Okay, it's been longer than that. <laughs> it has been. Um, well, the studio closed in 2011. Yeah, so. it was probably around that time that it came out. But it was a huge, huge studio, man, in San Fernando Valley. It was the place to record a rock band. From It was open from 1969 to 2011 when it closed. And a couple of the little bands I made a note here that recorded there were uh, Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Fleetwood Mac, Journey, Neil Young, Rick Springfield, Dio, Tom Petty, and on and on and on and on. And uh, Tennessee's own Nick Raskulinitz was an engineer there, and uh, I love that guy. But it's just, it's so fascinating because this was way before Pro Tools. So it, it's like the whole band were was there. The producer were there. You know, I mean, the producer was there. It's just, I don't know. It's just real old school about this, you know, uh, Foo Fighters. I mean, Dave Grohl did a ton of stuff there. I don't know. It's just a cool old studio, man. There's And I don't know. I I love being in studios. I think it's one of the most fun places in the world. This whole The whole thing where, you know, like now we can look, we could do a whole record here except for live drums yeah. on a Pro Tools rig. And it's not nearly as fun as a whole band being in a studio right. and stuff. That's I, a rarity anymore for yeah. artists to record like their entire album in a studio. Yeah. What did we just find out yesterday? The tracking room closed and it was for sale. The empty room, the empty building for, was for sale for $4.1 million. Yes. But I think it may have been bought and maybe somebody's redoing it. I don't know. The website looked like there's something oh, coming. Oh, okay. I, I hope it has. It was a, that's a great studio, but it's super expensive to do records and to do to own a well, studio. Just the equipment, period. Just the gear, it's, yeah. It'd take you an extra million oh dollars just to put a if board more, in there. If not more. But that to me, that one, and it's been a while since I've seen that one, um, that one gave you a lot of insight into what it's like to go into a studio, to work in a studio. Yeah. It was a little more, it was very studio centric. As, yeah. Um, it's technical, but it's not technical. Yeah. No, it was interesting. If you've ever wanted to know what it's like to yeah. be an artist and go to a studio, that's great. Especially, that's a great one to watch, especially since, um, there's so many like huge bands. That, oh man. And albums that have been recorded there. There's so many great interviews. Like, mm-hmm. thank God they got as much interview time with Tom Petty as they did before he right. passed away and stuff like that. It's really, it's fantastic. I, I mean, after you watch that, you're pretty sure that Rick Springfield used to live there. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was on there all and the I time. And I bet that that can be said for a lot of artists, like back in the day, especially, oh, yeah. you know, on their first album. You know, that's the thing is like, the artists will spend so much time on that first album, and once it hits and it gets running, and then it's like tour, 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 record next album, tour, tour, tour. Yeah. So they don't have the time, and that's why sometimes the second album isn't great. It's because yep. you don't have all those years of putting your hard-earned time and ideas and all that stuff into it. Yeah, the I first. mean, one of the cliches is you have your whole life to write the first record, and you have a year and a half to write the second record. Yeah. You right over there? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> My allergies are kicking up. Oh, I'm sorry. You allergic to cheese? I'm not allergic to cheese so much as pollen. Yes. Anyway, Sound City. Check it out. It's good. Yes. The next one I wrote down was Muscle Shoals. Yeah, we watched a little... Well, we watched... I think we watched Probably most all. of it last yeah. night. We didn't watch all of it. But, um, yeah. I, that's, to me... That may be my favorite one. It's just so good. I, first of all, I love, like, almost every single song that has come out of the oh, Muscle man. Shoals area. Um, 
So, I mean, it's it just kind of, they start off talking about why is that that place out in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, is so special. Yeah. Um, and Talk it about is something in the water, man. Yeah, that's what they said. It was something in the water, and then um, there was a guy, and I never caught the guy's name who at the very beginning of the um, uh, the the documentary started talking about building this. Um, stone like monument for his great grandmother, mm. who was an Indian of the uh, who called the area of Muscle Shows Ishite, which is a oh. holy place, a place of music and people. And he said that she had to walk, or she she was relocated from that area to Oklahoma, and like she tried to listen for songs in the oh, Oklahoma yeah. music in the rivers and she can never find the songs that she heard in the river in Muscle Shoals and so she walked from Oklahoma back to Alabama mm-hmm. Muscle Shoals Alabama it took her 5 years um but there's just something i guess it's called i'm going to probably butcher this but i wrote it down how i think it said is Nunase which is an american indian name for the Tennessee River mm-hmm. which is the river that runs through Muscle Shoals right um, but the band was called the Stompers. Yes, Swampers. And Swampers. Sorry, I Swampers. thought it was Stompers. It was Swampers. I had it wrong. But these guys played on Aretha Records, Jimmy Cliff Records. I mean, they played with the freaking Rolling Stones because Keith heard those other records and said, "We got to go there." And then Rick Hall, and uh, he owned Fame Studio there in Muscle Shoals, and the amount of people that he put through there as a producer and whatever else he did. It's just insane. And I just, I, I love that this band did not go to the artist. The artist came to them. Oh, yeah. I you mean, uh, like if you want to play with the Swampers, you're going to Muscle Shoals. You're not going to go to LA and fly them in. That ain't happening. Well, his story about Jerry Wexler bringing oh, yeah, man. Wilson Pickett to come and record there. And yeah. Wilson is this guy from, I don't know where he's from. I believe he's from like New York, or it seemed like that's where he flew in from. And yeah. he was just kind of not sure about it and um you know he got there and like not to like hark on what's going on currently in our times but like one of the things they said is in the studio they didn't think about race um they said um they didn't think about who's black and who's white it was just all we're just kind of just all doing our thing we're friends we're we're jamming we're making awesome music and um this is like in the middle of alabama in the midst of the (laughs) civil rights movement so you can't get any more um, more tension than that era yeah. in that state in that you know place. So I thought that was pretty cool, and it kind of still. One of the things I can't remember who said it, but and I wrote this down. It said we were we are all just humans, and yeah. you know at the end of the day that's it. Like I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, why are we even? Ta- Let's just don't talk about different races. Anymore. I'm kind of done with it. Yeah, but and anyway. especially music. I mean, music doesn't know. The note doesn't know if you're black or white or red or yellow or purple or whatever. Well, and I think that was one of the things that when they got down there, they were, and, and I think it was um, uh, not Mick Jagger, but uh, Keith Richards was saying that we we came there and we were expected to have these, you know, soul for, soulful black people right. playing <laughs> as the musicians. Yeah. And it's a bunch of like white boy farmer looking guys. Yep. In overalls and right. ball caps. And, and they're yeah. just these little country guys. And um, I've, I've been able to meet David Briggs because yeah. he lives in Nashville now and his brother worked at ASCAP. But yep. David, um, that's a whole other story. He has such an amazing background. Yeah. So he worked with Elvis and was part of the Swampers. But, um, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, 
it was just it was just really interesting. And then I think I think we kind of stopped watching where they kind of split the Swampers and Jerry Wexler started the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. Oh yeah, and there was still Fame recording, which was owned by Rick Hall. And um, so we have watched the whole the whole documentary, but we were kind of watching it to refresh our memories. But yeah. That's a really, really good one, especially if you love that era of music. I mean, again, everything came out of there that you can possibly imagine. Stuff that I personally love, and like, I just feel like such a deep connection with like soul music. And Aretha Franklin. I mean, they couldn't do anything with Aretha before they brought her to Muscle Shoals, and they found her sound. They just kind of let her <laughs> loose, and instead of trying to keep her as this like sweet, um, but they you didn't know, just find kinda... that sound in Motown. They found it in Muscle Shoals. Exactly, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So anyway, and I think Aretha, it, the story about Aretha is really interesting. So I'm not going to say more, but you got to watch it. How about Austin City Limits? Okay, it's called A Song for You. And I think there's probably more than one Austin City Limits um, documentary, but I think this one is the most recent one. They yeah. were kind of talking about the the um, induction of their Austin City Limits Hall of Fame, starting that up, moving to the new studio, moving to the new studio, all that stuff. Um, Man, uh, Craig Campbell, who's a publicist at Sony and is an awesome guy, knew Terry Lacona, and Terry's the the end-all, be-all of ACL, as they call it, and knew I was a fan of uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he sent me a VHS tape of Stevie's first performance in, really... the, in the blue kimono yeah. and cowboy hat, where he was just high as two kites. And then it bookends with the very last time that Stevie was on there after he'd sobered up and everything. And those two shows are just unbelievable. Well, that was one of the things they talked about that in the documentary yeah. about. So they kind of go through the whole um, history of Austin City Limits. And um, they were talking about the first time that, yeah, Stevie Ray was on there. He was out of his mind just... You know, kind of going back, jumping off the stage and kind of freaking out. So yeah. he was horrible. And like, it turns out it was like one of the most amazing oh, performances, even though he thought it was horrible and he was super out of it. Um, and yeah. then he came back sober and just like, smoked just that place. But Willie Nelson did the first gig, ni- November 15th, 1974. They had to borrow microphones from KLRE radio station and they had to build their own speaker cabs, their own monitor cabs, because they were they had no idea. Talk about seat of your pants stuff, man. Yeah. And what did Willie say? He's been on there twenty times or something, twenty two times. I didn't write it down. I'm something sure. Like that. I can't imagine. But yeah, he was he was definitely inducted into the. Um, and we didn't look yeah. up to see who was. But, but they've had the Almond Brothers, ZZ Top, Bonnie Raitt, Johnny Cash, Ray Charles, Emily Harris. The Hag, Roger Miller, I mean, everybody who's everybody, and a, and a ton of new acts, too, that I'm just not very familiar with, but lots and lots and lots of acts. It's pretty pretty amazing deal, I think. Okay, sorry, my uh, phone is dying right now, so I'm trying to get this to, um, to export my notes to my, I mean, my iPad is dying, I'm exporting oh. to my phone, so... Another one of my. Are, do you have anything else to say there? I don't. About this? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Uh, one of my faves was Hired Gun. Oh, that's a great one. And uh, I, I thought, man, that just says it all. It's just exactly what it is. These guys and gals may or may not be on the records, but they go out and tour. And they tour. Uh, I mean, uh, Jason Hook from uh, Five Finger Death Punch. 
also did Mandy Moore and uh, uh, who's the other Disney girl he played uh, with? Lizzie McGuire. Not Lizzie McGuire, but... Um, oh, shoot. I can see you. Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff. But, he, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say he woke up one morning, checked his emails and said, hey, we're going to go acting. So the band is over. So these guys might go out and, and buy a house or get married or guys and girls. And then they come home and they go, hey, by the way, you know that... 70,000 bucks you were making last year. Yeah, you're not making anything this year. Not from us anyway. But it's just, it's crazy. And you think about some of these guys like John Five, who played with David Lee Roth and wrote with Kiss and all these guys and Rob Zombie's been in Rob Zombie's band forever. Kenny Aronoff, who's played with everybody, man. He was in John Cougar Mellencamp's band for, for so long. Justin Derrico, who is just the smokingest guitar player in the world right now to me. He's been in Pink's band for 14 years, but he was on the he was the one of the guys in The Voice. But some of these guys like uh, Chuck Garrick, Brad Gillis, Jason Hook, uh, Phil X, who's now with Bon Jovi, insane. He played with Kelly Clarkson, uh, Rudy Sarzo, who was in Ozzy and White Snake, Nita Strauss, who was Amy's favorite of the night because she's a really pretty blonde lady who's smoking player. She's in. Alice Cooper's band, I mean, just all these guys, man, and plus all the studio guys. You know, there's a, a, a segment in there with Steve Lukather, one of my heroes, just talking about they're they're the guys that make the records, but don't tour the records because, like, obviously Luke's got his own stuff. But it was just fascinating. I th- I think if I wasn't if I was twenty years old, I think I might. In knowing now, knowing then what I know now, however that phrase goes, I think I'd go to L.A. and give it a whirl Yeah, and try to do that kind of stuff. Well, but I don't know. I guess first you should explain what a hired gun actually means. Well, I kind of did. They're the guys that oh, sorry. may or may not make the records, but they go out and they get hired to play in the tour. But they're not necessarily part of the band. They right. are just... A hired gun, like you're the guitar player for this tour, or you're the drummer for this tour, or you're the bass player, whatever. And it's it can be a great life, or it can not be a great life. Okay. Yes, exactly. Are you all right over there now? I'm all right. I've, I figured it out. Sorry uh, for my brief lapse in conversation. Um, yeah, no, that one was really good, and it gave me that one's free on Prime. Um, so if you have Amazon Prime, that add it to your list it's great um and it'll give you a little more insight too about people that we've we've had on the or you've had on the podcast like uh Trelli and um uh Tom Beaupree and well like uh Ryan Cook and Ryan Cook yeah he's you know, a perfect example him and Jason Hook were good friends they used to call themselves Hook and Crook or Hook and Cook they thought that was funny that is funny but now, you know, Ryan and his band of Merry Men are Ace Fraley's backup band and they're Gene Simmons' backup band, you know, and they're still they're still doing that. And and they also have their own stuff. But I think that gig will, will never end, you know. Cher doesn't keep a, a band all the time, but when she's ready to go out, she all she hires is hired guns. So I did write down one um uh quote from that from Ray Parker Jr. of all people. Oh yeah. Um, actually, Jason Newstead said it regarding Ray Parker Jr. in the storyline of the of the documentary. He said it's more important to have a classic song oh, than, yeah. than a number one song. Which yeah. then he that's when they cut to uh, Ray Parker Jr. who used bow, to be bow, a musician. Bow, bow, bow. 
Well, mainly, I mean, he still is, but I mean, like that was his job, cat. and he had the huge hit with Ghostbusters, yeah. um, the theme song to the movie Ghostbusters. Evidently, he ain't afraid of no ghosts. No, but it was interesting to hear his story of um, kind of how it came up to be for him to write that song. Yeah. We saw these billboards going up randomly up on Hollywood Boulevard, um, kind of starting to tease about the movie. The one in the 80s, the old one, the original. And if you haven't seen it, please go see it before you watch anything else. Period. Ghostbusters. Oh, I thought you meant Hired Gun. It's like literally one of our favorite movies. It literally is. But um, it's it's, it's just interesting how he came to, to be the writer on that song. And then... That's like such a great iconic song. I mean, like that line, who are you going to call? Yeah. I mean, we always are little nerds and say, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, we're just stupid. Anyway. Another one kind of along those uh, lines is called The Wrecking Crew, which was uh, the biggest bunch of studio cats in L.A., Stuff like Beach Boys, Glenn Campbell, Cher, Sinatra, The Monkees, Nat King Cole, Ventures, Ricky Nelson. I mean, these guys were the the A-list studio players before the Totos and Michael Landau and Dan Huff and those guys, Paul Jackson Jr. That I mean, that's a, it's a really, really yeah. fascinating. It's it's kind of along the same lines as Muscle Shoals. Yeah, it's like absolutely. The Except swappers for. LA. for the West Coast, yeah, basically, because it's that same time period of the nineteen sixties and fifties that they're recording all these massive hits that, like, yeah, have just made up the background of American music. I, mean, I don't know how you go from Sinatra one day to Glenn Campbell the next day yeah. to Beach Boys the next day. I mean, that just—I well, think they just checked in and checked out. It wasn't Glenn Campbell an actual part of the wrecking crew like yeah, he, play, he, played, he was one of the musicians uh, yeah one of the best guitar before players before he world. was an artist yeah um you know which, yeah that's, that's definitely how he made his name for sure <clears throat> sorry um one of the or two of the ones that were uh oasis supernova i was on the road during oasis's entire career so i missed them completely i had no idea until later on found out they've sold over a hundred million records i think they were a lot bigger in europe than they were here anyway but, oh they're massive in europe but i got way late and the uh, supernova just tells the whole just dysfunctional story of the brothers gallagher nolan liam and it was just famous how these two guys i mean talk about a love-hate relationship Holy crap, it's unbelievable. But then on the other side of that, uh, this last year we were able, fortunate enough to go to Scotland and on the airplane I got to watch a uh, Gallagher, or I mean a, a doc just about Liam Gallagher and it tells really in depth about the breakup and everything and then about him going in and starting his own solo career and, and his solo records are some of my favorite records of all time is, now. Is he who we saw at the Ryman? No, that was Noel. Okay. Which was also, I mean, he's got a fantastic, he's great too, man. His solo stuff is killer. What did he have, 17 people on stage? Yeah, I think it was a lot. But it was it was a great show. <laughs> yeah. and, um, Can't imagine he makes any money on the road, but he yeah. wrote all the songs for Oasis, so I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, they're both extremely talented brothers. But Supersonic, Oasis Supersonic, is that it, right? Supernova. Supernova. Sorry, I wrote down the wrong thing. That's on Netflix. So if okay. you have Netflix, you can watch that. And then the um, other one about Liam is a rental on Prime. 
And what was it called? As it was. As it was. Liam Gallagher. Yeah. As it was. But it's it's so good, man. Yeah. So good. So next, I guess, what do you want to go to next? Um, let's talk about 20 Feet from Stardom. I think it actually won an Oscar for Best Documentary. Oh, really? So I, I don't remember what year. But I'm pretty sure it did. Um, you can rent it on Prime or it's free on Netflix. That's totally your jam. Okay. So it basically is about being a background singer. Yeah. You're, tw- you're literally 20 feet from the mic as a background singer on stage. Um, and it, it talks about singing in the studio, but also out on the road with artists because they have like Sting's background singers. So they interview th- those two ladies a lot and then also Sting and kind mm-hmm. of the relationship between him and, and the background singers. And um, a lot of these these singers want to be artists. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they aspire to do or want to do. But sometimes they kind of get just stuck in that world because it's easy. I mean, you're on the, the road money. with Sting and like what could – be more fabulous. You're and staying in all the great. best places. The travel's yeah. great. Yeah. And and people like Sting and um these huge artists, they usually keep those people with them forever. But yeah. um you know, it started out talking about Darling Love was kind of the what they consider the beginning of the background singers, at least on um albums. Like she's done stuff her and a couple other ladies, um they consider they call themselves the Blossoms, but yeah. they did like the background singers on like Anything from like Monster Mash to That's Life, and they said they sang on anything from Buck Owens to James Brown. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and so one of the stories that I really thought was interesting was Mary Clayton, who was one of the I think she was one of the Blossoms, and she was she has an amazing voice. But she was talking about how um, she got on the background of the song "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones, and. Somebody woke her up, like basically in the middle of the night, saying these guys are coming in from England. They want you. They want a specific female black singer on the backgrounds of these song of this song. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, she's having to sing "Rape Murder," right. "Rape Murder." That's that's her line. She's having to sing, like screaming it. And she was just like, "What in the world?" She was woken up. She went down there in her PJs and her hair curlers, and <laughs> she's just like, you know, they keep wanting me to sing this, and I'm kind of getting more and more mad and. Like I'm just going to give it to them, and she start and they start playing some of the original tracks, uh, you know, soloed out tracks of just her, and she's just like hitting these notes that are insane, and you know, she's jamming there with Mick. Mick is loving it. He's he's talking too on the documentary, but yeah. Um, and then another one that kind of is interesting because we're going to talk about this band in a little bit was um, when she sang "Sweet Home Alabama." She's mm. saying the backgrounds on that. Um, what, what band is that? Leonard Skinner. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Um, But she was like, you know, I don't want to sing a song about Alabama. Like, why am I going to sing this? And her (laughs) husband said, you need to go sing this. And she said, it was like a slap in the face, but I was going to sing the crap out of it for you. And And she she did. did. So she said she felt it was her her way of feeling like she was being an activist. Yeah. Which we're going to talk more about that song in a different documentary because – that song isn't what I think a lot of people think is, that song yeah, is when you start really listening sure. to why they wrote it and how they wrote it. Yeah. So that's interesting. So stay tuned. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, it was just it was it was it's a very interesting documentary, and they do talk to a bunch of other artists that are like this did take away from me trying to su- pursue my own career as an artist, but they also had a great oh, man. background. I mean, then they cut to these guys talking about singing with Michael Jackson and singing like the background vocals for um, Lion King. And yeah. like, 
Avatar, making bird noises in Avatar. It's just, it's, it's very interesting and very much worth a watch. Um, so do you want to talk about the ZZ Top one? Which well, is, let's go to the Skinner one since you brought okay, it up. Okay, we'll go to Skinner. Let me pull up my notes. So that one, we, I think we have it on Showtime is where we've, we've watched it. So I don't know if you can rent it or not, but it's called If I Leave Here Tomorrow. Yeah. And there's several Leonard Skinner documentaries. Yeah. Um, and we're probably drawn to that because Bart is really good friends with Ricky Medlock, who's been on the podcast. And I just grew up listening to Leonard Skinner because yeah. I'm from Mississippi. Um, but it's just a really good, comprehensive documentary about it's the so beginnings good, and ends and not just like one section. Yeah. Um, but it starts off, you know, that I guess Ronnie Van Zant, it was interesting that he said that he called himself the Mississippi Kid. Yeah. But he was from Florida. But then somebody mentioned, like, it was just really interesting that he died in Mississippi. Yeah. And they said that was kind of prophetic in a way. Um, died in October of 1977, just south of Macomb, Mississippi. October 22nd. October 22nd, the day before your birthday. Yep. I was a wee little babe <laughs> at that, at that yes, point in time. You were. About five months old or four. I just think, man, this is one of those bands. I mean, it's it's just one of those. I'm such a fanboy when I get around those kind of guys because, like, yeah, I, I grew up listening to them. Had albums which we recorded onto cassettes, which we put in the car and whatever. And then one day I'm writing with them, you know, and it, it's yeah. just insane. It's like this shouldn't happen. No, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting, you know. And they talked to Gary a lot about about the wreck. And the thing that struck me is there's so much. We talked about it last night. There's so much recorded voices yeah. of Ronnie and Steve Gaines and just all the guys. They caught so many of these guys before they died. There's so much Ed King and Who stuff. just passed away like in what, the just last two, three years. Away. Yeah. And so there's it, it's really good, man. We, you, get, you get to hear a lot of the, the real voices of these guys. You know, it's not just somebody reading a script. It's the actual cast. It's them. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not like a... It's pretty cool. Uh, you know what I call the like uh, National Enquirer invert National Enquirer versions of the reels documentaries that are just like somebody yeah. else telling the story. This is like them and their words. Um, and I liked how they talked about the origin of the band name because yeah. first of all, a lot of people thought that was the name of a person in the band, right. and obviously Which one not is Leonard. Yeah, right. And so it kind of came from two different places. They had a coach named Leonard Skinner. Skinner. Yep. But in this song called Camp Grenada, the Hello Mudda, yeah. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing, but that song, I couldn't find the original singer. It's got to be like one of those like Catskills guys. Well, I kind of thought it was Sinatra, but I couldn't find it. Huh. Anyway, so if anybody knows, please send us a DM. Yeah. But um, in, in that song, they say something about Leonard Skinner. Yeah. And so I think between those two references, that's where they came up with the name. <laughs> Um, and they talked a lot about how Ronnie just was one of those dudes that just w loved to fight. It oh, didn't matter man. what it was. Yeah. It didn't take much to set it off. Um, you have a personal story I'm, that you're not going to repeat that you've it. heard. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of like footage of him like getting beat up and just or like, beating somebody up, beating up his own band members. Yeah. Like. I mean, Ricky says that he just liked to fight. He yeah. didn't care if he got his butt kicked. He just liked fighting. Totally. It's like, well, that's an. Interesting hobby. Because who was was it? Gary that said like they were somewhere in the UK or not UK in Europe and like in Germany. They're in Hamburg, Germany, and like he was Ronnie was drunk. I'm sure Snops, Gary was drunk. It. 
Yeah, yeah, snobs, snobs. But um, he like slashed his hand. He's like, "You're not gonna play guitar anymore." And it's like, "What are you doing? Like, come he on!" Carved up both of the back of Gary Rosington's hands. Yeah, it's and like, then, that's the guitar player in the band that you're in, right? And you'll have a show the next day. But it showed Gary like the next day, wrapped up on stage with a with a bandage uh, on. So but um, kind of going back to what um. The last documentary, what I was talking about, was Sweet Home Alabama. So they recorded in what was called Hell House, where they recorded most of their demos. But when well, they did, what, yeah. did Sweet Home Alabama, I believe they did it at Muscle Shoals. But um, let me find my note on that. Let's see. Well, they talk about the Confederate flag in there. Yes. And you asked me, what do you think about the Confederate flag? And I said, you know, I was a little fat kid from Nebraska. When I was growing up, the Confederate flag was Leonard Skinner and Charlie Daniels and Blackfoot. That was it. There wasn't any racist anything to it. And Ronnie talks about that in this documentary, you know, how how that came to be kind of their their well, symbol and the, stuff. Like MCA kind of yeah. did that as a gimmick, honestly, put it in for the print, them. The printing ads and stuff. Yeah, and they yeah. called them the Southern Band. Um, and they never meant any wrong for the to you know for the flag to hurt anybody, and they were just using it to show that that's where they were from is from yeah. the south. And he said that they would go to Europe, and like there'd be way more Confederate flags over there, which I thought was very interesting. You know, I know that's I very that, yeah. very controversial right now, and I know a lot of people are taking it down. And yeah, for, maybe we do need to move on and put them in museums. And that was right or a wrong. Thing of the past. It is controversial right now, yes. and and that had nothing to do with those guys. It had nothing to do with hate. And they no. talked about how the KKK kind of basically usurped the Confederate flag yeah. and used it for their hateful purpose, but that's not where it came from. Um, but okay, going back to Sweet Home Alabama, so. In the song, um, they sing, in Alabama, they love the governor, and they were talking about Governor Wallace, who's yeah. like the worst governor in the history of governors, probably. A little probably. racist. Slightly racist. If you can horrible be a little human being. <laughs> I mean, it was like the worst time ever, race riots in Alabama. Yeah. And um, I think they said in, in Birmingham, they love the governor. And I always thought that they were singing, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. But they're actually, which it's that Mary lady, she's singing... Boo, boo, boo! Like they're booing the governor. Right. So people think that 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 song is all about racism and like loving, um, being a part. You know, like all of that. Like I think a lot of people have taken a different meaning of that song when it's really not meant that way. They like were against race, uh, racial tensions, and they, they love like, everybody. And like they didn't like Governor Wallace or, or Neil right. Young because Neil Young, being that high uppity Canadian that he is. Well, Neil Young at that same time was putting out a song called Southern Man that basically talked about how horrible Southern people were, yeah. which he's from Canada and has no idea what it's like to walk. Just, I mean, to me, that's just like what's going on today. Like, yeah. you don't know what it's like to walk in another person's shoes, right. so don't assume that you can. Yeah, and just because, especially Skinner being, like, what did Gary say until after the first album came out, none of those guys had ever really been out of Jacksonville? Oh, I'm sure. He said they went camping in the woods, but that wasn't really out of town. And, yeah. And next thing they know, they're opening for the Stones and for the Who and for all these people. They were just country boys, man. Yeah. But, you know, like, that was their kind of callback song, if you want to call yeah. it that, to uh, Neil Young. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times you can see Ronnie in a couple of videos wearing... A Neil Young shirt. T-shirt, yeah. T-shirt. 
Because you were asking me who it was. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a Neil Young shirt. And there's that, you know, like to fight that legend that he was buried in a Neil Young t-shirt. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've heard that before. 100%. You're making that up. I'm not making that You're up. You're a dang old liar. Anyway, um, talked about like Saturday Night Special. Yeah. That song. It's all about guns. Which there's a little bit of um, them walking the line on that because... Yeah, Ronnie said he doesn't like guns. He's not for guns because they had a friend shoot another friend in a drunken poker fight. But then you see a lot of these pictures of Ronnie carrying guns and like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and it's interesting too, Artemis Powell yeah. in the group. He was very left wing. He called himself a left wing hippie. hippie. Yep. You know, and you wouldn't think a left wing hippie is in like this southern rock band because sadly, <laughs> southern rock has been associated with not great things. But once you peel that away, you see that these guys are like. So guys. different. They're yeah. all different. They're good dudes, and they love people and love each other, except for maybe Ronnie, who liked to fight everybody. But <laughs> I think he probably did. He still loved him. He just yes. wanted to hit him. Um, Want to go on to ZZ Top? Yeah, let's go to ZZ Top. A little old band from Texas. A little old band from Texas. This just came out in the last year. I think years. even less than that. I think like last six months it was on Netflix. To me, I mean, this is... They have been, since day one, one of my favoritest bands ever. I think they are arguably America's greatest rock and roll band, up there with Aerosmith and Van Halen. They're oh, uh, yeah. very, very, up until re- maybe the last five years, they were a super mysterious band because their manager, Bill Ham loved the mystery, and he always thought, why would we put them on TV for free when I can charge you 15 bucks to see them at the arena? And so he he never let them do any of that kind of stuff. I mean they I mean they've been around. We were going to their show this this summer got canceled. Of course, yeah, was it was it, coming up probably in like two weeks. Fiftieth <laughs> anniversary. I don't remember that if it right? was that or not, but it was going to be at the Sin. It was going to be awesome, and I mean, I'm super sad. They've had to play more gigs than any blues rock band in history. But yeah, they probably loosened up their like mystery or whatever you want to call it after yeah. Bill passed after away. After Bill got, yeah. And Bill, I used to work for Bill. Yep. Not him personally because he lived in Austin, but the Nashville office, Hamstein, um, that was you know definitely something that we knew a lot about was ZZ yeah. Top. And um, I, I thought it was interesting because I didn't know a lot of the like, I, like my ZZ Top history comes from like MTV yeah. when they were just like literally all over MTV. Starting with legs. Yes. Yeah. And um, so mine goes back a little further. Yeah. Now. It goes back to the very beginning and like <laughs> how the band kind of came to be and kind of how it morphed into like what you see now, like the ZZ top and the beards. I mean the, um, the cars, the fast cars and the girls and the yeah. beards and all that stuff. All the cool stuff. All the cool stuff. But um, like me, you know, one of my coolest <laughs> Music stories yeah. involves Billy Gibbons. Do you want to say it? I'll say it. Going back to Craig's, um, <laughs> going back to Craig and Big Loud. Um, I remember one year, it was in December, right before we had a big um, Christmas party for Music Row. Like we we invited everybody to come to our office and have a Christmas party. And Those um, were fun times. That was good times. And Craig had been out like a night or two before somewhere um, at a, at a restaurant and ZZ ZZ Top. Billy Gibbons was there because um, he's been in town quite a bit. He spends a lot of time here. Yeah. And um, he invited him randomly to our Christmas party. You know, like, why not? Who thinks he's going to show up? Well, guess what? He showed up. He showed up. up. <laughs> and so I got to do tequila shots with Billy Gibbons. It was fun. I have pictures. We won't show them. 
anyway, it was good times. It was one of those memories and one of those things that I'm like, this, this is maybe like the coolest thing I've ever done. But one of the craziest thing to me about ZZ Top is for over 50 years, there's only been those three guys. Yeah. They've never changed drummers or bass players or guitar players or anything else. It's yeah. just like, I guess three is easier to get along with than five. Probably. Yeah. So, but anyway. And, and then they were, it was, is it Groon? No, wait, that's not right. What's the name of that um, really famous venue down in Texas that they were playing at? Green Hall. Green yeah. Hall. Okay. It looks like Groon, but yeah, Green Hall. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's spelled like, it looks yeah. like it's spelled like Groon, but it's Green yeah. Hall. And um, they were getting ready for a show. So it was kind of cool watching them do that. And- it's really good, man. It's just, you know, I mean, all these documentaries, the thing they have in common is what I started the show off with is just getting to know the people that sing the songs a little bit because you're never going to meet these guys no you know the next one on my list is rush i did one backstage with them which was a shaken hand and then off you go was that with tim yeah with tim hunsey took a picture off you go yeah but that's it you don't you don't get to go hey you know i like that shirt you know or whatever so getting to see any of these documentaries like this are are really good and the zz top one has tons and tons of interview it's i I thought it was really really well done and um i didn't know this because this was again before the mtv time which that's interesting in itself but when they were out on stage back early in the day they had like what was it zz top's like they had like a guy that was wrangling like a crow, like a crow or a buzzer. Well, the ZZ Top World Texas Tour. Yes, they had a longhorn steer, rattlesnakes, <laughs> a coyote, buzzards, real animals. They had all this stuff on stage. On stage on the road, the rattlesnakes kept dying because, uh, and I know this from Bill Ham. Yeah, this wasn't on the on the. No, dock. but the rattlesnakes kept dying because the vibration on the stage. Because it was a big, loud rock show, just kept killing. Them. And obviously, this is so. way before like PETA, because that yeah. would not happen <laughs> that today. Would, that would not happen. We kind of like to look out for the critters these days. But um, so, do you want to talk about uh, so Rush a little bit? Yeah, I know um, nothing about this. I'm not a Rush fan, so I have not watched it. But it is on Netflix. Can you get that book over there, pretty please, under the headphones? Okay. This is called Rush the Documentary, clever title. And uh, uh, this one kills me, of course, because Neil Peart just died. But the the history and the length of the career of this band, thank you, just kills me. And uh, one of my best friends, Jason Charles Miller, who's a killer country rock singer out of L.A. and just an amazing friend just sent me this book called uh wandering the face of the earth the official touring history 1968 to 2015 and it's a book it's about 300 pages it weighs gosh, it's like the biggest four book we pounds have. it's massive <laughs> but i went through it and found all the rush concerts that i've been to and stuff and and it's just insane this this book. So thank you, Jason, for that. I really, really, really appreciate it. But they're they're a very important band to, to me and my brother. You heard if you've listened to this podcast any amount of time, you heard me and my brother Brad talk about Rush. And this documentary again is just killer. Just again, man, tons of interview footage and stuff stuff that no one's gonna get to see. 
So it, I'm just, I'm thankful all these docs are coming out, man. Yeah. And especially now that people, and that was another reason why we wanted to do this episode is because people are still at home, not sure what, you know, they've probably gone through yeah, all those yeah. series that they can. And right. <laughs> these are just great shows to watch. I mean, a couple of hours of your time. And um, so, yeah, the Rush documentary, you can find that on Netflix. Um, another so one is Quincy. Yeah. It's also on Netflix, um, all about Quincy Jones, which if you don't know about Quincy Jones, I don't Dude. know how you don't know about Quincy Jones, but you've heard a song by Quincy Jones produced or played or whatever. He is like the first music renaissance man, seriously. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. But it's really interesting because his daughter, Rashida, who a lot of people know from like Parks and Rec, yeah, um, she produced it and she filmed a lot of it. And it kind of starts out... Um, where her dad is not in good health and kind of has either a stroke or heart attack right at the very beginning. So you see a little bit of that, but then they keep a, cutting back. He goes into a diabetic coma. Yeah. And yeah. so... Um, He's 83. Yeah, which at, at that so, time... Yeah. Isn't he a little older? I think he's 87. He would have to be older or dead. Right. I'm but going he's still older. Alive. But, I mean, like, this guy is just... He's truly one of the, like... He goes Legends back of America. to before Sinatra. Yeah. And he was arranging Sinatra and playing. I mean, it's just insane. All the way through, obviously, probably the most famous thing he did was Michael Jackson's Beat right. It. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the very stupidly famous story about him calling Eddie Van Halen to get him to play on that song. And Eddie told him to F off and hung up the phone on him, not knowing that it was really him. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think I heard that. <laughs> and he went down and cut the solo, one take. Like, perfect. See you. But, uh, so he probably would have worked then with Steve Lukather, which kind of goes back oh, to yeah. the um, Hired Gun yeah. documentary. Because I remember Steve kind of specifically talking about some of the stuff recording yeah, with Michael Jackson. Um, but yeah, anyway, he did like, did he do We Are the World? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Um, which again, if you're not old enough to know what We Are the World is, definitely look it up. Check it out. We heard it on the radio yesterday coming home, and you said you could probably name every single person singing just by listening to I, it. Why is that? Because I worked at a record store, had MTV on 24 7, and that video was on there about, it seemed like every third or fourth video at the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It was I huge. did pretty good, too. You did. I was very impressed. I missed a few, but I did. Well, we didn't pre- listen to the whole thing. Right. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a really great one to check out. Oh, one of the cool stories he said at the very beginning was going back to Sinatra is he wears this he had there's this ring that Sinatra wore on his oh, pinky yeah. finger all the time and when he passed away he had left it to to Quincy and um so Quincy he, hasn't ever taken it off. Yeah. I'm like that's that's a pretty cool story. Um cuz those two people are just yeah, amazing. Well, can, Kind of in that vein was the Miles Davis Birth of the Cool. Yeah. Which was one of my favorites. I mean, what do you say about Miles, man? You probably wouldn't say he's a sweetheart, but (laughs) I just, I mean, this is totally out of whatever, but I used to think that if I could listen to enough Miles and Coltrane, I could convince myself that I understood it as a player. And And I did a little, but... I used to I used to listen to ten or twelve hours of Coltrane or ten or twelve hours of Miles every day for for years, just trying to wrap my head around it. And, but I never really did. <laughs> but if you just look at the, the the number of players in his band over fifty years of a career, you know, from a little kid.
kid from St. Louis. It's it's unbelievable, and he's got to be the most famous jazz musician ever. Oh yeah, for sure. I would think. But anyway, that one that one really kicked me in the teeth. I loved it. Now let's talk about the rainbow. We just kind of <sighs> happened upon this documentary. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Love The Rainbow, this. and it's about the. Um, the club, the Rainbow on Sunset Strip, right next Rainbow to Whiskey. Rainbow Bar and Grill. Yes, right next to Whiskey A Go Go. Mario, um, Michael, and Michael Jr. Maglieri. I think you took more um, notes on that. I one just, I, I just love this. This is the place that if you're a Motorhead fan, you're a Lemmy fan like me. This is a, this is at the two blocks down from where Lemmy's apartment was yeah. for thirty years, but the Rainbow is just. <sighs> Sunset Strip, man. The Doors, Cream, Johnny Rivers, The Monkees, Chicago. I mean, Chicago was the house band there for a while. But all those guys through Motley Crue and Cheech and Chong, Motorhead, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, Zeppelin, The Who, Deep Purple, everybody hung out there when they were in town. And one of the things, uh, I think it was Lita Ford said that she and the rest of uh, her band, they were just so poor. Yeah, and she was sick, and she kind of drug herself in there one night. And Mario, the, the original guy, put his arm around her and gave her a bowl of chicken soup, you know, and just said, "Come on, just eat this up." And you know, he kind of looked at himself, and if someone was drinking too much, he'd slow him down, and you know, or yeah. he wouldn't let him come in there. So I was like, uh, he kind of, for all the rough Italian heritage of the Maglieri family, he was. He, it was a real father figure to a lot of those well, guys. Yeah, a lot of guys said like he would give you, he would buy you a beer when you didn't have any money, or you know, yeah. buy you food. And he talks about how this, this is like the best. This, what was it? A, this is a Spago steak on Sunset Strip prices, yeah. or something, like, <laughs> something that. like that. Yeah, but uh, ta- and, and yeah, Lito was talking about how like that is the best chicken soup you'll ever have is there, yeah. and um, you know, the only guy it seemed that uh, Mario did not like was Charles Manson. <laughs> And it's really funny how he talks yeah. about Charles Manson because yeah. he had to kick him out of the bar, which, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, like, could you? He had a couple of interesting names for him. Yeah. Anyway, but it's a really good documentary. Oh, I didn't, so we didn't really good, know what man. we were getting into starting watching it. And it was, it was interesting. It's just, it's just, you know, another music, uh, documentary about music history. And that place, you know, somebody said it's, it's like the, the history of rock and roll is here. I and there's so much cool memorabilia. It's kind of like, Planet Hollywood before Planet Hollywood yeah. existed. And I think they even mentioned that, like, because there's uh, guitars everywhere. Yeah, and- albums and what. I think it seems to me that Mario understood nobody's from LA. Mm-hmm. So when you're there and you're penniless and you can't go hug your mom and get a bowl of soup there, let's make this your mom's place. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys who's like, I didn't care about what color people were in the midst of the 60s. Like, yeah. it was, he, he welcomed everyone and yeah. just seemed like, you know, he didn't take, you know, anything off of anybody, but he was like, as far as like, he didn't put up with a lot of stuff, but he seemed like a good dude and really cared about people. And And that's probably why that place is so beloved. Well, in the whiskey, I mean, they talked about who they had as acts for weeks at a time. And a lot of it was black acts and they took a lot of crap at the time for it. Oh yeah. And like you said, he didn't take any crap off of anybody. 
So it was a, it's a good one. Again, that one's on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's where the Hollywood vampire started. Yes. Which was Alice Cooper, Keith Moon, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, Harry Nielsen, and Mickey Dolenz. How about that for a crew? And that was just kind of like the like super, super VIP place. And those guys were just like the elite of the elite that hung out there. And it was kind of almost like you couldn't <laughs> quite get up to there. And so That was the third floor. Third floor. So yeah, it was just interesting. Like that ran that's such a random group of people. Like really. Yeah. Um but yeah. I don't know. It's pretty awesome. Um a couple others that we're probably not gonna go too much into um that are worth watching are kind of a series. They're Ken Burns, like any oh, documentary. Can oh. I do another one real oh, quick? Go ahead. Real quick, just because it's kind of in that same vein as the fall of Western Civilization by Stephanie Spheris. It's pretty much it's a lot of similar music and stuff to the Rainbow, but it's all about the strip and just all those hair metal bands. Oh yeah, and it's it's so fantastic to watch, and it's just I mean it's it's wonderful. So check out the Fall of Western Civilization. I'm and, sorry. And staying in L.A., uh, another one to check out is All Things Must Pass. It's about Tower Records and oh, the last yeah. Tower Records, which is the one that was famously on Sunset. So great, I love. So going interesting. In there. Yeah, I mean, I know that's like a like not what you think of when you think of the music business, but it really was because that's where everything was sold, and there's no more really record Love stores anymore. Records, man, and that one was fun. That one was good. Didn't we um, see uh, Arsenio Hall in there last time we were in there? Well, yeah, that was like I mean, ten years ago, twelve. No, that was like fifteen, 15 years, years ago. Honey. Yeah, yeah, we were there, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Arsenio Hall was there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's probably not like that random. I mean, like people, I mean, artists would go in there all the time and like nobody bothered them. They just did their thing. Um, miss tower records. I miss the one here in town. Oh man. I loved it. Every time I went in there, I came out about 150 bucks light. Yep. I remember going in there with you before and it was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, Les Paul, I'm gonna let you talk about the Les Paul chasing sound doc. Oh man. It's just that guy. I mean, Without really seriously knowing his history, I mean, like he invented multi-track recording. Yeah, he just it, he arguably he invented the electric guitar. Yeah, it's just insane what that guy. And plus, he was just a fantastic player and just a great guy, man. So yeah, I mean, what, what's it called again? Uh, Les Paul chasing chasing sound. tone tone or sound. We'll get oh, it right shoot. for you in the notes. Okay. Sorry, I can't remember now. But yeah, that one is one of my faves just because, I don't know. I mean, I've got a couple Les Pauls, of course. Everybody's got a Les Paul or two, but that one's great. So yeah, please check it out. It just will blow you away at how he stumbled onto multi-track recording and all of that stuff. It's just it's just fascinating. If you're interested in recording and technology at all, it's fascinating. And if you like guitars, too. That's kind of cool. Um, another good one is Michael Jackson. This is it. You can rent it on Prime. It is. Man. It's the last. It's the tour rehearsals. rehearsals of his. What would have been his last tour? Yeah. Um, well, he didn't know it was his last tour, but it was right before his death. I mean, he died in the middle of these rehearsals. Ugh, and so um, great. it's it's so interesting to watch because you do get a little background on him as an artist, but like you see, like just how gifted he was when it comes to music and just working with other people and you kind of see a little more of his personality than what we've seen before I feel like but you see that he wasn't just this not being mean but he wasn't just this freak yeah like he's rolling up into Greg Fillingaines who's one of the most amazing 
keyboard players in the world, and he's showing him what he wants to hear chord-wise, and you can just see Gaines' eyes are just rolling up in the back of his head like, I can't believe that you can think of that, and you're thinking of it on the fly. Yeah. And he's thinking of it not sitting at a keyboard. Right. He's at a microphone center stage, and he's going, hey, how about if we do this and this and this and this? And you just, it was crazy, and I don't, again, not to be mean, but I couldn't believe how just musical he was. Yeah. And again, going back to the 20 feet from stardom, one of the girls that was a background singer, and I'm blanking on her name, she was his black background oh, singer yeah. in that documentary. Um, she would have been out on the road with him. So it shows him working really closely with her because she sang like the female lead on some kind of like, not duets, but kind of female parts that right. are in some of his songs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my brother's friend, Makia, who is on, I can't remember the name of the show. It's on it's on ABC, but she's an actress. But she she kind of started off with, not started off, but she was one of his dancers. She would yeah. have been on the tour, which was Really exciting because I would love to have seen that tour, but tragically oh, that didn't. Come you know, to you be. had you had an interesting comment on the twenty feet from stardom about uh, Cheryl Crow, yeah, who kind of got her big break doing VGVs for. Yeah, yeah no, I don't know how many people really realize that or know yeah. that, but um, yeah, it's a it's a great one to watch, especially yeah, kind of gives killer. you a little bit of behind the scenes on what it's like to be um, rehearsing for a huge tour. Man, you talk about hired guns. Yeah. Look at that band. Sure. Holy cow. Who is, Orianthi was the... Orianthi was a guitar player. Guitar player. One, one of the guitar players, but yeah. yeah. Um, so some some of the little series that we'll just touch on that we love, um, going back to that, is anything by Ken Burns, but oh, specif- specifically the jazz and country music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the jazz one, I watched that years ago, and it really, I've always liked jazz, but I kind of like learned a little more of the history of jazz. Yeah. And like all the origins and how much like New Orleans is involved and St. Louis and just like all the places, Chicago, everything. So it's it's very interesting. And then his most recent one was country music. We've talked about it before on here. Um, it's really, really good if you want a background of country music. Yeah. However, he stops at about 1996. Which is so weird. Or seven. And there's so much that happened between then and now. And um, it really kind of cut out. Like It it like felt like it cut out the time I got to town, which is so important for Nashville, was when I moved to town. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, but no, he, he just barely touches on like the Dixie Chicks and Garth Brooks oh, and yeah. Vince Gill. And it's like, and Toby Keith and Kenny Chesney. It's like, hold him, hold on. Kenny Chesney is like the biggest artist <laughs> in our, in our genre, right? Yeah. Our country right now, you know, and Luke Bryan, you know, like these guys who've made all these like records and broken yeah, these I ceilings. Like can't imagine why, how you sto- forgot about them. I mean, I know you got to stop somewhere, but yeah, stop 15 years ago. But anyway, it gives but you a great still. background of like how country music came to be, how it got started how um, how important the, the bluegrass that, was. Yeah, how more bluegrass it was, and how some of the guys that came and recorded these people in the mountains just basically, like, yeah. lack of a better word, stole their music. Yep. And that's, yeah, interesting. So very watch that. That's on PBS. The Jazz series is on Prime. And there's another series that we cannot find, like, I can't find anywhere except for her to buy it on iTunes, but it was the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways. Oh, man. It's it was so good. on HBO probably 10 years ago. It was a series. It was a series. Essentially, they went to, because Dave's from Washington, D.C., 
uh, Nirvana's in Seattle, obviously. So they went to Seattle, Chicago, New York, New Orleans, New Orleans, Washington D.C., Austin. Shoot, there's one more. Was it Miami? There, maybe was it Miami? Because I know there's eight. But they would go into town, like they went to Chicago. Well, there's Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, because they're a Chicago, essentially a Chicago band, and they would write and record and hang in Chicago for a week and do one and write a song and then they would record that song. It was kind of in that style of yeah. that city or that music. Something that came from like there. girl would walk around and get the smell of the air and the pizza and the whatever. And it, oh, it's so good. But yeah, it's Foo Fighters Sonic Highway. If you can ever find it, I don't, like you say, I mean, it was yeah. on HBO and I, I don't even think it's ever been re-ran. Yeah, or, I don't think it I've has ever. either. And I couldn't find it like on any of the new streaming services with yeah. HBO. Only place I could find is if you wanted to buy it on iTunes. But it's, it's, it's worth fantastic, it if you man. want to see like really kind of getting in depth into different cities and how those cities influence the music that comes out of the city well also just for a nerd like me you're going into recording studios in eight different cities like the one i love the most was the one in new orleans because they recorded at the preservation jazz hall oh that's right and with the band the preservation jazz hall band which i just am like a new orleans freak and thought that was just the coolest thing ever and still haven't been to a show there and i'm dying to go there um we can do that we can do that a couple of other little um, <laughs> smaller things that we have watched have been on Netflix. It's a series called Mastered, and it's not even like a series. It's kind of like these one-off episodes. There's quite a few. The ones that I have watched, and I think you watched the Robert Johnson one, yeah. is called Devil at the Crossroads. It's about Robert Johnson, who's kind of considered the godfather of blues or what, um, something like yeah. that. Um, but it, he's the story of the guy who sold his soul to the devil yeah. at the crossroads in Mississippi. Went down to the crossroads. Yep. That guy. That's him. And he actually recorded that song. Is that right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think he did. He recorded something like that, if not that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so that's a very interesting one. I mean, that one. song that I was quoting was Clapton and everybody Well, else I think he cr- really crossroads. recorded that. Did he? did he? We'll find out. We'll find out. I'm and, stupid. Um, Sorry. Anyway, uh, Two Killings of Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. um, which I love Sam Cooke. Like, yeah. he is my end-all, be-all, like, voice. I thought I was. In a different way. Okay. Okay. And then <laughs> another one that I haven't watched is the, the Who Killed uh, who Jam killed Master Jam J. Master J, yeah. which I do want to watch that one. We just haven't gotten to it yet. And then there's, I think, one on Bob Marley and one on Johnny Cash, um, which I do want to watch both of those. And then a couple other ones that we haven't seen. <laughs> How about the, oh shoot, Tour Bus Diaries? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't consider those documentaries, but. They're good to watch, though. Because they're not really like. Right. Told by the people. Some of them are. No, they're it. usually told by their. Anyway. People who worked with them. Uh, but that was the guy that did King of the Hill. Yeah. Um, I threw you for a loop there, sorry. Yes, you did, because that's not on our notes. Uh, there's also a show called The Last of the Mississippi Jute Joints. It's a documentary oh, yeah. on Prime, um, which is about the uh, blues halls in Mississippi and the Delta, which is where the blues started. Um, it's it's interesting, kind of talking about Ground Zero, which is o- owned by um, the actor whose name I'm forgetting from Mississippi... That like has the deep has voice. The deep voice. He's oh my in, gosh, he played uh, God oh, in something, and like 
Anyway, he's Shawshank Redemption. Was that him? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, shoot, man. We're horrible. There's also one thing I want to watch is called Score, a film music documentary, which I'm fascinated with. I want to watch that. One that we have watched is called Clive Davis, The Soundtrack of Our Lives. I would like to rewatch that. Yeah. Because the history of that cat is unbelievable. Uh, Hitsville, The Making of Motown, which for some reason I've watched and you haven't. I I guess maybe I'll watch. I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it. I just couldn't remember watching it. But we've also seen Standing Standing in the the Shadows Shadows of Motown. Motown. Yeah. Which both are great because, I mean, I know Motown is not necessarily your jam or your favorite kind of music. I love it. But I love the history of it. Yeah. But it's interesting because I kind of just happened to click it on the Hitsville one yesterday. It's on Showtime currently. And it was Barry Gordy and um, uh, Tears of a Clown guy. Smokey? Smokey Robinson. Gosh, my brain isn't working. The cheese is clogging it up. Um, Smokey Robinson and, and, and Barry Gordy, like, in... In Motown, in Hitsville, like in current times, talking about like yeah. recording and stuff. And I mean, Barry Gordy is just so interesting anyway. Yeah. Um, and then there's one called, uh, isn't, there's another one about Robert Johnson. And there's, I know there's so many out there. I know That's, there was one that we watched something about clubs in, maybe it was a CBGB one that we watched. Okay. And I can't remember the name of it. There's so many that we've like, started to remember when we've been talking about this. Um, but that's what's fun about these, man, is you can find a documentary on anything. I mean, doing our research over the, just the last three days, you stumbled upon a new, I think new, Bruno Mars one. Well, we started watching it, and then I stopped it because it kind of felt like one of those, like, Reels cheesy, TV or Yeah, something? where oh, it's, okay. it's right, kind of the right. story of the artist, which that's interesting, but I'd rather hear, like, the artist or the yeah. people who worked with that person talking about him. But there's a million yeah. You get for any any music you want. And there's one that somebody on Instagram suggested that we check out. It's about the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Like Love and Mercy or something. Yeah. Which I would love to check out because like them recording um you know, pet sounds is just Unbelievable. Amazing. I mean That's the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. And goes yeah, back, going back to goes the back to that. It's interesting how a lot of these um documentaries, something is kinda almost interwoven with yeah. something else. Cause I mean it just it's all music, and it all like music is so fluid. And, yeah, and that's one of the reasons we love it. And it brings people together. It's good anyway. stuff. So yeah, if you have uh, documentaries oh, yeah. that you love and we didn't mention, please we want to know. Um, send us a DM on Instagram or send us an email. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page or our um, website. Please, please, please um, give us five stars and subscribe on iTunes. And um, Bart, do you want to take us out? Thanks. You're the best. Thanks. Love you, kid. I <laughs> love you, too. Thanks this for was listening. Fun. This was a fun one. We enjoyed the homework uh, for it. Yeah, homework, yeah. We're going to sit and watch TV about music for the next 24 hours. Well, you, we've basically been doing that this last whole <laughs> yeah. week. We kind of have been rewatching some bits and pieces just from years ago because um, they're – even if you've watched them once, it's interesting to watch them again because you just yeah. pick up more stuff. And um, this kind of stuff I love because I could just watch stuff for days and days and days. Oh, one that they need to, we need to find a good one of is Elvis. I'm sitting here looking at an Elvis wine oh, bottle yeah. that you have. But um, I know there's ones about like Sun Studio and Elvis because I love Sun Studio. Anything from Memphis I love. Um, yeah, and Sam Phillips and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
So but, yeah. it, but it's funny with the, the thing we also talked about is like there's not a good Van Halen documentary. But you said that's because they don't. It's because do they're super private people, and that's one thing that I remember about. Uh, oh shoot, what was the MTV behind, behind the, the band? Music. Behind the music. It's like well, VH1. They can't. They can't. Yeah, VH1. They can't make a documentary if the band doesn't want to participate. Yeah. So then there's not True. one. So and. Like, if you want to see a good series, if you weren't around when Behind the Music was originally airing, oh, find fantastic. any of those. Because those are all, like, interviews that are very documentary style. Yep. Um, I mean, they may be a little, like, extra drama, but because I remember that guy that was the voiceover guy um, that on all of the episodes. Yeah. But, um, I mean, like, the one about Motley Crue is great. And, Absolutely. Um, the one about TLC is great. And, oh, man, there's so many. There's so many. Great episodes. Mariah Carey. So, yeah, if you if you can find any of those, those are definitely worth watching. Yeah. Any, any artist. It doesn't matter who it is. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll stop because we've probably gone over, like, way too long <laughs> and could keep going. So we will stop. Thank you so much for listening. See you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.